So the reading is taken from Psalm 86, verses 1 to 10, and it can be found on page 596. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. God, my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I'm in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. This is the word of the Lord. Second reading is from the book of Genesis. If you want to follow it, it's on page 21 in the Church Bibles. Genesis chapter 21, beginning at verse 9. Isaac has just been born to Abraham and Sarah, and the story continues. Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly, because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. 
So, God, thank you for your word to us. Uh, We ask that you open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, So today we have our uh, second talk in that series of uh, Christianity is Irrelevant, which we started last week and which I've said I'm hoping will pop up from time to time. Um, as, uh, as it has, there's space in the preaching rota. And it's just about acknowledging uh, that often the people around us who are not Christians, um, at best they possibly think that, you know, the Christian faith is okay um, if they don't, you know, downright think it's a bit rubbish. Um, but they won't necessarily think that it really is able to speak to their own lives as they experience them in 21st century Britain. Last week we talked about sex and what, how what we do with our bodies matters. Um, and this week we're going to explore the issue of other faiths and how we think about people all around us of other faiths and none. This is perhaps especially pertinent to those of us who live in Harrow. You know, I'm sure uh, you've heard it many times that Harrow is the most religiously diverse borough in the country and uh, and one of the most diverse in the whole of Europe. Um, Harrow uh, really experienced the new diversity that burgeoned in the 60s with those being invited Uh, particularly from the West Indies, and in the last 20 to 30 years has really been at the forefront of the new normal uh, with regards to ethnic and religious diversity with peoples coming from all over the world, particularly Asia and Eastern Europe. Uh, When I first moved to Harrow, which is five years ago now, I was really interested. I'd never lived in a, such a diverse place before in that sense. And I was really interested to hear how people felt about this new normal. And, you know, the truth was that uh, a number had found it quite difficult to get used to. And a lot of the language that people had, people who were white European descent English, Um, who had probably lived in Harrow most of their lives, of all ages, um, felt a bit overwhelmed by the changes that had gone on around them. And we know, don't we, that diversity and difference and change are some of the most difficult concepts for human beings to make sense of. When we meet or see people who we feel are quite different to us, whether that's in our culture, ethnicity, or religion, it's tempting to retreat into our own known and familiar surroundings, to not engage, uh, or in extreme cases, um, to do what's called, you know, othering someone which means, you know, to think of them as really quite a different type of human to me, uh, whether that's a different level of human, perhaps even slightly less than human. 
so a lack of integration with people who are different to us um, can lead really to a lack of acknowledgement of our shared humanity, uh, which in turn can lead to racism, whether passive or aggressive. And in amongst all those general considerations of integration, as Christians, uh, we have our faith perspective. Yes, we can talk about integration as a way of combating racism and recognizing our shared humanity. Uh, But as Christians, what does that look like when it comes to honoring God and being faithful uh, to God in terms of our faith? that type of diversity. When I do the job of discovering what are the hopes and dreams and beliefs of my Muslim friend, am I in danger somehow of worshipping a false god? Or am I putting myself in the way of being less true to my own Christian faith? These are genuine questions. And over the years, Christians have taken different perspectives on other faiths and on what our approach should be. I think it would be fair to say that a few decades ago, even just a few decades ago, it would perhaps have been beyond the imagination uh, for the Archbishop of Canterbury to have hosted an iftar meal. So that's the meal that uh, breaks the Ramadan fast at the end of each day. Uh, And he hosted one in Lambeth Palace, uh, together with people of other faiths and none, uh, coming together to share this experience. And if you Google Archbishop of Canterbury and Iftar meal, you will see a lovely selfie um, of uh, Justin Welby and Sadiq Khan and the chief rabbi, Um, and a whole host of people behind them of um, varying uh, religions, ethnicities. I'm not sure that that could have happened even, you know, a few decades ago. So how is it possible uh, that this has come to be? And how should we live? Because that's a question that Christians, as Christians, we should always be asking ourselves. In the light of who God is, how should we live? How should we live? So how should we live in multi-faith harrow in a way that is faithful to God? And I think this passage in Genesis uh, gives us an insight um, into our approach uh, towards those who are different to us, of other faiths, of other cultures. The story of Abraham and Sarai, who become Abraham and Sarah, And their slave girl, Hagar, um, is, I think I've probably said before, one of my favorite stories in scripture. Although it is a pretty horrific story of the abuse of Hagar. But there is stuff to redeem the story. We can surmise that Hagar ended up in the household of Abraham and Sarah from that trip. I don't know if you remember that that ill-fated trip that Abraham took into Egypt. Um, He's just been given this promise from God that he's going to be a blessing to all nations. 
Um, and so then he decides to go into Egypt and he sneakily tries to get rid of his wife um, into the hands of Pharaoh. Um, but because Sarah is two, um, and inherit, uh, uh, the matriarch as well as Abraham being the patriarch, uh, God decides to rescue Sarah and uh, he sends these plagues and curses on Egypt. And in that way, God rescues Sarah. And Pharaoh says, what have you done to me? You know, and the irony of ironies, when Abraham is meant to be a blessing to all nations, becomes a curse to the first nation that he goes to. Um, But Pharaoh, in order to placate God or this situation that he's found himself in, sends Sarah and Abraham away with booty. Um, And so... Sarah and Abraham gain a slave. Hagar is an Egyptian, a woman, a slave. Three of the worst things she could be. She was the bottom of the pile. And I think whenever you hear Egyptian woman slave, um, you should have sort of little distant echoes going on in your brain from uh, St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, where he says that in Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile, Egyptians being Gentiles, there is no male or female, and there is no slave or free. All are one in Christ. Hagar is not in this story by mistake. Uh, She is the Gentile woman slave at the beginning of the story, which are brought in at the end in the New Testament. That's just a lovely thread through the whole, um, as a slight aside. But this is where we must remember that if we think we are in an unusually diverse setting, that this was the normal culture for those who lived in the ancient Near East the tribes and nations around would all have had different understandings of who and what the gods were. And it's also important to know that Abraham did not have a fully-fledged understanding, you know, a doctrine of God, uh, which he had somehow imported into his brain. He was a nomad. Before his encounter with God, when God told him that he would uh, be the father of all nations and through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Before that encounter, we don't actually know what Abraham thought about God at all. And throughout the Hebrew scriptures, those scriptures we call the Old Testament, um, the story of God and humanity uh, from Genesis through to Malachi, the book of Malachi, there is actually an unfolding, an unfolding of this revelation about who God is. There is an unfolding story in which the Israelites' worldview would have been that there were lots of gods, and their God was revealed to them as the I Am 
remember that story of Moses and the burning bush. Their God was revealed to them as the I am, the one who is and was and who will be. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The God who had rescued them out of Egypt. These are all unfolding ways in scripture by which God is becoming known. And through the story of the Hebrew scriptures is this dawning realization, which is, you can follow through this sort of dawning realization, um, that there is only one God. And this God is the father of all. That actually God is not nationalistic. And that was a real movement um, in understanding the world, in their worldview. It was a shift. There was this idea, you see, that gods were geographical, were somehow tied to their own territory. You know, and there was this question, would your God come with you into another territory and keep you safe? Or would you be in the hands of a foreign God? But throughout the scriptures, and actually we have that really at the end of the, the first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch and they end with Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy we have um, this sort of uh, crescendo where we have something called the Shema, which is really important to Jews all over the world still today. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And that is, listen Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. So you can sort of interpret that in both ways, but I think there's a kind of cusp at that moment that perhaps there is only one God, because Adonai Echad can be translated the Lord alone, or the Lord is one. Um, And so there's this sort of sense of we are journeying through and understanding that actually God is the God of all, not just of one people, not just of one place. And also, uh, we have this idea that's voiced in Psalm 86, that not just is there one God, but that all the nations you have made shall come and bow down before you. O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. This is an evolution of a worldview, a paradigm shift. So a shift from one framework of understanding the world into another framework of understanding the world. And a way of seeing that God is continually revealing God's self to us. So in the story of Hagar, an Egyptian woman slave, um, we see that she is the one who bears the first child to Abraham, the child Ishmael. For Christians and Jews, we know this is not the end of that story, and that Isaac is born and is the one through whom God's purposes and descendants are to come. But even for us, 
even in our scriptures, the story of Ishmael is important. Sarah doesn't like Hagar and Ishmael being around when Isaac has arrived. And so she tells Abraham to send them out into the desert. Basically, a death sentence. And Abraham does so, but really because God tells him to. And so Hagar and Ishmael go, and they believe they're going to die. But here's the interesting thing. God saves them. And he tells Hagar, come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. This is where the story um, of Christians and Jews and Muslims diverge. For Islam, Ishmael is the one through whom the faithful descendants of God come. But I think even in our scriptures, we have a mandate for understanding our relatedness to, in particular, uh, these other monotheistic faiths, Judaism and Islam. If Christians are our brothers and sisters, then perhaps Jews and Muslims are our cousins. There is a desire within these faiths of seeking after God, seeking after the God who made the whole cosmos and who is the father of all. In terms of other faiths, because we're more diverse than that, we might remember that Hagar was an Egyptian. So initially her outlook would have had all kinds of gods in it. And yet she was able to be open to the story which God had for her. And in amongst all of this is the basic story of our shared humanity that we all share. So maybe it doesn't matter then. We can be Christians and everyone else can be whatever they like um, and just do what they feel like and, and that's okay. What about evangelism? How does any of this link with respecting another's journey with God? How do we have our own distinctive faith? In the end, why am I a Christian and not a Jew or a Muslim? And I guess the answer is somewhat complex. It is for me. I was born in a country where the embedded religion was Christianity. I didn't know about any other religions. Christianity was the pathway towards God which I was offered as a child and a teenager. And as I was kind of growing up in, especially my teens, as a Christian, this question about other faiths emerged There were different options as to how Christians should approach people or think about people of other faiths. Some of my Christian friends uh, believed that other faiths were worshipping demons. That there was only one God, the Christian God, and so therefore any other gods 
were demonic. Others believed that there was a sincerity in the seeking, uh, but that they were misguided, and so their faith actually meant nothing. And this latter one was probably the closest to what I thought. But then I seemed to kind of feel like there was perhaps an, another way, slightly, slightly different. And that scripture seemed to be actually quite embracing or understanding, acknowledging um, those with other gods, though with these stories. It allowed in that unfolding revelation for this presence of other gods to be talked about. Um, And then it went on to say, you know, that there was this one God. So if you're wanting to worship God, then this is the one you're worshipping. And it sort of did it that way round. So you're desiring to worship God. Here, let me tell you who God is. So we have that in the story of Paul, who uses the polytheistic outlook or the many gods outlook in Greece uh, that the Greeks had uh, when he finds a statue made to that unknown god. Uh, He doesn't immediately tear it down. He says, this is who this unknown god is. And he starts to talk about Jesus. So scripture doesn't shy away uh, from those who are seeking God and seems to engage in a different way than demonizing or dismissing the seeking that other people are doing. And so I found that there are thoughts and even wisdoms from those of other faiths in how they see God that challenge me even. And that's okay. That we can listen and grow from these encounters without that being that we're being unfaithful to our God. But the reason that I am a Christian, we are Christians, and not Muslim or Jewish, and why I do believe that Christianity is the ultimate pathway through which those who are seeking God will find God, is because of that story of the unfolding revelation. That's really important through scripture. This unfolding revelation of God. And this unfolding revelation of God has its absolute focal moment in scripture, in the coming of Jesus to earth. Any revelation of God up to that moment is mitigated. It's not quite there. When Jesus came, he revealed God in a way that had never been and which will never come again. Jesus Christ is the fullest revelation of God that we have. That's what Christians believe at their heart. 
That's why we are Christians. And of course, the greatest joy is that Jesus is always there to be found by anyone. So in our encounter with those of other faiths, we can respect and even learn from them. We may, we may even find that our own view of God is perhaps challenged and enlarged as we bring our thoughts and wrestlings on these things in prayer to God. We can acknowledge the often genuine seeking after God, after the God of the universe that people are engaged in. And we can do those things without fear of being unfaithful to God. And of course, as Justin Welby did, we can share in meals and friendship too. And ultimately, as we become friends across these faith boundaries, we can tell our story of who we believe God to be, revealed uh, ultimately in the person of Jesus, who is Lord. Amen.